This section also had us the highest point in the course, um, where we did an out and back to the summit of Mount Margaret. Um, so whenever we were doing this climb, uh, starting this climb, we could hear the rumbles, the thunder. It was getting dusk at that point. By the time we got to the the first part of the climb, topped out, and then we were kind of traversing through the, the higher point, higher peaks. Um, it started really rumbling and lightning was coming down. The lightning was so bad, it's the first time ever I've ever seen horizontal lightning just going across the sky in front of you. Um, the trails were quite narrow and they just turned into streams. That, my friend, was Aaron Shimmons. And this is the Inspirational Runners Podcast. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in again. My name's Robbie Marsh and I'm your host, so welcome to the podcast. You're in for another ultra episode this week. It does hit the two hour mark, but when you compete in a race that is 200 miles long, there's a lot to talk about. Our guest is a well-known face around the Mons, a member of Bath Running Club, and is linked to events such as the Dennis Rankin Round and the Garmin Skyline. Aaron Shimmons from Lisbon today talks to us about his adventures as he competes in the Bigfoot 200, which is the first race in the series of three 200-mile races known as the Triple Crown, which are held in three consecutive months, August, September and October. Aaron is familiar with hard races, competed in races such as CCC, TDS and UTMB, as well as completing the Dennis Rankin Round in both directions. But the Bigfoot 200 has to be by far his biggest challenge to date. Before we start, I'd just like to give a huge shout out to our sponsors Born to Run. Their award winning winter series is back and registration is now open. So make sure you look out for the early bird dates by logging into their website or finding them on Facebook. The first race will be held in Minneburn in Belfast, the Mary Peters track on the 2nd of November. There are also reduced rates for juniors, so why not make it a family affair? I didn't do a full edit on the podcast, so excuse if any gremlins pop up, but I don't want to delay you any longer. So it's with great pleasure I give you Aaron Shimmons. So nice day, we got one Bigfoot 200. Um, as I was saying earlier on, I don't, I, again, discredit you by doing no prep. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the Bigfoot 200, it's part, it is part of a series of three yeah huge races like isn't it and mm-hmm. um, i suppose before we go into that race itself what i was really interested in is the journey that brings somebody to that point that they're going to make a decision that i'm going to enter a 200 mile race mm. one with forty-two thousand feet of climbing and um, because that's not something that you do when you buy your first pair of running shoes <laughs> You know, that has to be... I'm sort of hoping that that's a sort of a continual path. Because um, when I was sort of... When I finished the CCC then, I was suffering. I was like, am I just going through this journey that these guys are going on? I'm seeing that doing Leadville or Great Western State, you know, is it, am I just on that path early on? Yes, you are. <laughs> <laughs> you definitely are. So where did it sort of spark with yourself? Um, well... My background in, in, in running was, I used to go hiking in the mornings, just me and the dog, and I saw people fell running, and I was like, I want to do that, that looks cool, and it took me a few years to get up kind of the, the confidence to turn mm. up at a race, and um, I turned up at a race, I think it was 2012 or 2013, 
turned up at this league. Wasn't that long ago? Yeah, <clears throat> this league Gullion, uh, first race of the year. And, um, yeah, and I, I actually joined BARF as a club because whenever I get in the queue to pay for the fellow race, you know, we're queuing up to, at the pay at the, somebody's boot of their car. Uh, there was a barfer in front of me and a barfer behind me. Said, oh, oh yeah. why don't you, where do you live? Oh, why don't you come to training on a Thursday? Because that's the Belfast Association to rock. Rock climbers fell. and fell runners, yeah. 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 yeah, so started from there, you know, I tend to gravitate towards the, the more extreme things, you know. How did that race go? Any surprises that you didn't win first place or that? No. <laughs> no, I have no idea how it went. Um, I, I wasn't <clears> fast, but I'm sure I wasn't. Uh, I'm Were sure... you buzzing after it? Yeah. You remember, are you buzzing and looking for the next thing coming up? Yeah, well, um, after that race, you know, I, I caught the bug. I joined BARF and um, I completed a, a, full, a full season of fell running. And I, I think that full that first year of doing the Hill and Dales and doing the Nimmer races mm-hmm. and um that was a massive uplift in, in you know, my own fitness. Mm-hmm. Um but Nimra has a lot of, you know, races, especially locally in the Mons and they just have a great site, don't they? You can go on, you can see the schedule that they have. Yeah, well the Nimra races are all run by clubs, whereas the Hill and Dale is, <clears throat> is a series organised uh, and run very well by Newcastle, I see. But the Nimra Championship, you know, more runners, Barf, um, and now there's a few other clubs that are running uh, organising races as well. But Barf organised the, pretty much the long distance races, okay. which ended up suiting me. And um, yeah, they're, you know, the seven sevens and a long horseshoe, mm-hmm. it's Belga Skyline as well. I like the long races because it's longer time in the mountains. That's what it comes down to. Not because they're, you know, not because they're just more endurance based. They're not really, you know, you're, yeah. you're, your heart rate's still beating high, beating hard, you know, in an analog horseshoe, you know, you're going as hard as you can. You know, it's three, four, whatever hours out. Um, it's not something where you're really tapping into too much of an endurance. So out of that series there, which, which one was your favourite race? Sort of that sort of circuit. Of the Nimmer races? Yeah, if you think of like the Horseshoe and the Seven Sevens, like which one was sort of... Well, I might be biased to say the Spelga Skyline since I yeah. organised that race, but... <laughs> or, or, or did, I, um, but uh, maybe the Seven Sevens, you know, mm. it's it's a, a circuit of, of the Morns, you know, it's it's hitting all, sev- all peaks over 700 metres and uh, it's pure fell running, you know, pick your own route. Um, so that, that's that's a super race um, alright so after doing those type of races then some people are quite satisfied with that and for some people it's quite a large challenge when you're doing the likes of the 7-7s seven, and things like that um, but some people have this burning inside what's the next thing um, obviously <laughs> it's led you to 200 miles mm. so what came after those type of races what was the first thing that you dipped your fingers into yeah um the first, my first ultra was, um, it was a Wicklow Way, now the Morris Mullins, but that was really a training race for the Highland Fling. Okay. So. It's a 50 mile race. Yeah. Is it 50? 53. 53 miles. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's a really popular race. Mm. Um, there's a lot of people from the club 
and a lot of people from the country go across every year. It's it's it, it's the organization is brilliant. Yeah, and really how good. did you find the transition over to that distance then? Because it's slightly different. What I found was, you know, I was able to go like six or seven hours, no problem. But when I start creeping past that, then mm-hmm. all sorts of unknown issues were starting to pop up. Yeah. Um, were you finding that yourself when you were starting to go into longer distances or did, were you trans, did you transition into that a lot smoother? Before I, well, in build up to the, the Highland Fling, I did a full year at um, training at MAF, which I learned through that podcast. And, you know, I'm... I kind of deep dive into things yeah. deep and and uh, I, so I did a full year of math training and I think that really gave me an endurance base um, and my wife was doing a master's at the time so every weekend I had Saturday and Sunday free <laughs> and I was right lads who's available for a long run yeah. and um, you know those back-to-back long runs Saturday and Sunday with a, a group of friends and um, how important do you find that is in the back-to-back races? It sort of comes up quite a lot with longer endurance. Yeah, I did it for the fling, and I didn't go back to it until this year. Mm. Um, I didn't go back to Mafato either. I think I think the the more you train your endurance, the, the more you trim off the top end. So um, the following year, I did my easy runs at Maf, and I started to go to the track, and I noticed the difference with that. But this year I was doing back to backs because with Bigfoot, I knew that length of that the length of time I would be out on my feet, I needed to be able to get out of an aid station and run when I was tired. Mm-hmm. So so much of this that training block was uh, making sure I was getting up and running when I was tired. Yeah, and how did the Highland thing go then? That uh, went well. I, I think it was 10, 10 hours 44. Oh, that's a good time, like. Um, but from a feeling point of view, then, how did that go? Did it go as expected, or...? Well, I think, like, most most um, people that run ultras and have drop bags, you realise... That was my first experience of that you put all this food in and you eat none of it, <laughs> and you end up just going through the race drinking Coke or something. Yeah. <laughs> so I think I had some... I had flapjacks and drank Coke. Um had the, the typical, you know, highs and lows that you have in an ultra, but um, for the most part, it was a it was a great experience. What do you think? Um, so great, the word great experience. Like, what do you think? Uh, leaves you that sort of summary. What is it that you're enjoying about that? Like, is it the pushing through? Is it pain? Is it? I. I enjoy doing things that are difficult and um, I think having done long races and, and uh, long sort of tests of endurance and stuff, you realise that this doesn't, this low doesn't go on forever. This, I meant to feel low right now, you know, this is, this yeah. low is as a result of me not doing something. I didn't eat something soon enough. I pushed too hard on that last hill. You know, or that hell an hour ago, and now it's you know I'm having a bonk. You know, it's just just you, an acceptance, really, isn't it? You're accepting just how it's how you are right now. It's part of it for yeah. whatever the reason yeah. is being like. So yeah, because you say it's gonna pass, whether the body's recovering itself or not, or whether or not you're just accepting of that. It just needs time. Mm. You know, the the harder you push, the longer it'll take to recover. 
so smiling here because when we did the podcast and when I did the Seven Sisters and, and it just didn't freaking pass. <laughs> yes, I heard that. And <laughs> I'm laughing because the only thing that kept me going was one of those podcasts and people that have done ultras, they were saying, you know, it always passes. Like, And I just held that <laughs> tightly and it just did not pass but at maybe all. Maybe like, what you did that weekend was just too much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Brilliant, but the Highland, Highland things might be a, a great race. Like it's a good introductory race into that sort of fifty mile range. Yeah, and a good platform to maybe move you into next. It's a bit more challenging as well, like isn't it? Yeah, I mean it's it's just it's a trail race, mm-hmm. so it's easy it's easy terrain. There is a, a a section that is you know fairly technical, um along along the lock, but uh, it's a great introduction to fifty miles. Mm-hmm. What was next after that then? Uh, that same year, I that same year was the start of the sky running kind of thing in in the UK, and I did the um the three by three thousand race in the Lake District, and I actually went over, and did the recce of that over a couple of days, um, and met some people who, uh, I've met at Fling, yeah. and these same people I have seen in Chamonix. In America, you name it, you know, there are people that travel around at these races as well. It's quite well. unique, that, isn't it? Yeah. Because like, it's the same. I don't know whether it's just a smaller community sort of traveling around or what, but that's one thing. I've only been mate running 12 months, but when you go into these pockets, no matter where you're going, you're meeting all the same sort of individuals and characters and, mm-hmm. dare I say, crazy people. <laughs> <laughs> not that crazy. <laughs> so, like, because you're not doing the same level of races, you're moving up all the time. Yeah, every every year it, it moved up, you know, the so that was two fifty milers that year and then the next year I did the CCC. Right, okay, straight in. Yeah. Um and you you obviously were you chasing the points or yeah. anything or they just I had happened? that in mind, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um so you needed two four points over two races. Well it was the old system, old point yeah. system then, so eight points over two races, sorry, so four points in each race. Um you got in straight away then, or yeah, that was lucky. I know, well. but you know, luckily Irish. <laughs> so how did that go? Because you were injured for quite a while before that, weren't you? Yeah, quite. I'm glad I haven't told this story in a while because I think I, I think I told it to death years ago. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, had you been to Chamonix before? No, no. Like it's just absolutely blows you away, doesn't it? When you first arrive. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah. It's such a place. You know. Every time you just look up the mountains and it's just, I want to live here. Mm. <laughs> I want to be a, a, a slow professional runner or something or, you know, walker or whatever it is. Um, but the CCC was great. Uh, that, that year, I wanted to, I, I've never been a gym person. I don't like mm. anything that involves going inside specifically, you know, to go yeah. and get fitness. My fitness That's was always... That's training. That's proper training. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I that. just want to go outside <laughs> and enjoy myself. And if you get fit in the process, great. But, um, so I'd went to a personal trainer um, to do, to do mm-hmm. some strength work to try and make the running better. Because I knew it was going longer. I'd always find that if I descended too hard for maybe five hours was maybe the limits of where my knees would start to get sore just from tightening in the muscles yeah um so i went to a trainer and within about three weeks four weeks i had a herniated disc in my back and um without going into too much detail i didn't run for 
nearly four months leading up to the CCC. But the trip was bought, paid yeah. for. I owned all the gear anyway. I was going to go and my back started to get okay in uh, sort of the start of August. So the week before going to the Chamonix, um, I decided, well, just put all your race stuff in, in your pack and go and do a run because you can run now. So let's go and just do a run and make sure, you know, see if anything rubs. And um, I still, I arrived in Chamonix not intending to do the race, but uh, I started the race. <laughs> I hadn't run at all in that time, but I I did do a lot of mountain biking. Okay. So I... A bit of strength. Yeah, I, 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 you know, if I was running, I forget how many hours or, you know, I was doing a week, but... I replaced it with, with run or with mm. uh, cycling, uh, mostly mountain biking. You know, your body must have still broke down then. You know, to be that length out, you might have been a bit stubborn and <laughs> pushed on through into the race. Like, but that's you... stubbornness part of ultra running. <laughs> yeah, there's no doubt about it. Because um, it is an amazing race. Like, I'll, I'll still never forget coming through La Foley. Mm-hmm. You know, and I've tried to. Photos of it or whatever, but when the first time I came through that, and to see Nicolasia, and you go through the small village, mm-hmm. you know, there's a guy sitting there drinking his wine, reading a book, and eating his cheese ball, and I'm like, this is the life I want. Yeah, it's like, where am I going so wrong? Um, it's outstanding, and it's outstanding whilst you're enjoying the race <laughs> because mm-hmm. it can get pretty grim. Well, you can look around at that point. Yeah. <laughs> It can get pretty grim, but I can only imagine that if you were out so long, no matter what you were doing, your body is bound to start breaking down. Yeah, well, I just paced that race to finish because I knew that the following year I wanted to do the TDS, and if I didn't start the race, um, I would I wouldn't get the points from finishing the race. Okay, so that was the motivation. So the motivation was we'll start the race, and I've always I've kept this kind of ethos in all the races and that is don't stop if you miss a cutoff because if something happens then it's fine someone's making you stop but don't your mind could tell you to stop because your stomach's not well or you've went over in your ankle but if you're still moving fast enough and you're not causing any long-term damage just keep going Mm -hmm. so i went into that race saying well i'll try and get round in 24 hours i'll pace it for 24 hours gives me a bit of a buffer to the to the ultimate cutoff and um, I got round and I crossed the finish line in 23 hours and 59 minutes. Um, so that's what I was interested in because I know you've done the, the three big races out there mm. and there were so many people I've met were doing TDS who were giving me advice on CCC. So I was just wondering in Chamonix, is that the natural progression that people take? Because that's what you did then. So you don't CCC. Yeah, yeah. And the following year... Luckily, I got into TDS on, on first try, and um, I thought that race would suit me more. Um, I wasn't injured as well, so I, I was able to train. Um, the TDS is more technical, more climbing, a um, bit more remote, and um, that all sounded brilliant. But it was a tough race. Yeah, so there was so much drop. It was like 39% DNF this year. Yeah. They added another 20 kilometers to it, I think. Yes, yeah, so they, they increased it um, 20 kilometers on a, a 
can't remember. I can't remember yeah. how. So when you say what does TDS stand for? Don't ask me. It's difficult to say. It's technical. <laughs> just, I don't know what it is like. Um, but what deems it to be more technical? That's what I. Yeah. Well, if you on the UTMB website, if you look at um, they have a grading system for the races, and it's more. It's meant to be harder than UTMB mm. because of the type of terrain. Okay, so even though it's a shorter race, which is UTMP is like 170 kilometers, yeah, um, it's shorter terrain, but it's a bit tighter climbs and things like that. Mm-hmm. Like, um, so you got into that race, and that race went well then because you're prepared for that, yeah, as prepared as I thought I needed to be. Um, <laughs> but the wheels kind of did come off, um, after the descent. Maybe the last, after about 80% of the race, the wheels started to come off a bit and started, mm. you know, sore knee and, you know, stretches of walking and things like that. Um, and that race, that was a hot year in Chamonix as well. There was 60% DNF uh, in the TDS. The climb um, after, I think it was 50k at that point, um, the majority of runners uh, were, would hit that at, around lunchtime. And the sun beats down on this hill. And I remember going up through the switchbacks and people, you know, if there was this small bush, there was three runners underneath this bush hiding from the sun trying to, <laughs> trying to recuperate to go forward. And the amount of people also that were just walking back down the trail. Yeah. That, I think, if you're weak-minded, um, you could have just thought, I'm going back down there too. And just walk down the hill. Um, so after TDS, then... Please don't tell me you entered UTMB and you got in the first time. I entered UTMB and didn't get in. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I didn't get in and this is when... I'm they, sitting here so happy now. Yeah. Um, I think it's a, I'm glad I didn't get in um, because my backup race was um, a race called Rondadel Sims in Andorra. Okay. And, you know, UTMB is 160k with 10,000 metres of climbing and Rondadel Sims is 160k, 170k with uh, 13,500 metres of climbing. And uh, it's meant, a lot of people would refer to it as the European Hard Rock. Okay. Um, so it's like, and people that have done Not hard sure rock. Care about this race. <laughs> people that have done hard rock say that Rondadel Sims is harder. Wow. It just doesn't have the altitude that Colorado has. Mm-hmm. But you know you're still, you still top out at nearly twenty nine hundred meters in that race. Um, Rondadel Sims, a uh, rough translation is round the peaks. It, okay. It goes round the border of Andorra, um, through the mountains. So that was a big race. Like, how long were you on your feet with that? <laughs> And this this is actually an, a, a a good a good way to explain Rondadel Sims. The record for UTMB, um, a hundred miler, is let's say, give or take it's twenty hours, um, Rondadel Sims is give or take thirty, so it's ten hours more, and it's you know the stats are, yeah. are quite close by the extra climbing, so it's a hard race. Andorra is, really rugged, very rocky. Very steep. Um, so, safe to say, then it took you to a different level. It's a different challenge. Yeah. 
deeper than you've gone before. Because TDS, um, well, I'm assuming that you have 20, near 24 hours. That almost helped you, I suppose, <laughs> being that long on your feet, because I know you would smash that time. Like, um, so TDS would take me around. I, you know, I forget my time at TDS. I think it was 25 or 26 hours. Yeah, so that's the next phenomenal um, time, like. But uh, I, before just finishing off on TDS, everyone I met that finished that race, in, me included, said, I hated that. That was the hardest thing I've ever done. And I said that for two weeks. I did not want to do another altar for two weeks. Jeez. There's been no other race that have felt that way. That left a scar. <laughs> I think I was just, I am better prepared for those challenges now than what I was yeah. then. Um, I think you find that as you're going through the process, don't you? So how long were you in that race then in Andorra? Yeah, so, so Ronda Del Sims, um, I, I've done it twice. <laughs> <laughs> so the first, and it's a race which is renowned for having bad weather, thunderstorms. What time of year is it? It's um, the full moon in July. Are we safe? This is a, a side question. Are we safe with our poles in thunderstorms? Have you seen videos of me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, the last last time um, doing Rondadel Sims, I remember in a thunderstorm um, throwing poles away and then hiding. Uh, <laughs> I went on for hours. <laughs> me and this German guy, don't know his name, but we experienced that for four or five hours together you quickly throw your poles away there's more lightning <laughs> um but going back to your, your question the that ronda del sims the first time around was my first and only dnf right okay um and it was to do with weather you know you get caught in bad weather they have a tendency in that race to the storms can be there's there's definitely going to be a storm at some point it's just where are you on the course? It's hitting somebody on the course because the course goes around the whole country. The race goes on for you know a couple of days. Um, someone somewhere in that race is getting hit with a thunderstorm, and um, I got hit at about hundred and twenty k. I think they paused the race, um, so they held everyone at the next checkpoint that you got to. Mm. Uh, I was at um, the refuge Claror. And they held us there. They had no supplies. It wasn't an aid station. It was just a timing point. So it was a it was a mountain hut, which would resemble one of our kind of um, sheep pens, only with a roof. <laughs> and so no the, fuel, I think, in there. No way to sort of reset yourself. No, no. Uh, there was about forty of us in this room, which had three bunk beds. Jeez. And foil blanket. Not too many positive people in there. No, I was, the, I was the only person that spoke English. Um, oh, jeez. The people that worked in the race couldn't speak English. Um, one of the, a young girl uh, was there helping and she has obviously been learning English in school and she could translate a little bit, but um, they still wouldn't let me continue. <laughs> but I didn't, have, I didn't have enough layers to stay yeah. there and stay warm. So whenever they, you know, whatever amount of hours they held us, um, whenever they said you're free to go, there was maybe five hours to the next, to the next point, and I was too cold to continue. Mm. Um, 
that that is one thing that will get people isn't it because that's a different mm. that's a different fear it's not i don't know if fear is the right word for that or not like it's different when your body's breaking down that's in your control but when you're cold you're mm. shivering and, and you, there's nothing you can do about that do you know what i mean it's hard to pick that back up again like whenever you're in the big mountains you have to be really mm. careful you need to you need to carry all all of the stuff and the experience that i've got in the last few years of that race has been you know don't pack light don't there's mm. no point in packing a, a light raincoat pack a good raincoat um because ultimately the difference between a light one and a really good one without going overboard isn't that much but it makes such a difference to your race (laughs) the weight of the sandwich (laughs) but it is it is true and people listening to this who are just starting to move into these type of races like i did wicklow last year was my well i did them all way before it's just in the summer but wicklow was obviously december Mm. Um, it was the first time I'd used every single little piece of kit. And before I was just taking kits because I was told to, I had to. Yes. Do you know what I mean? But it was summertime racing. like. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I had my gloves on, I had my extra hat on, I had my wet coat on, I had everything on. Mm-hmm. I thought, wow, like, I used everything, even had the compensate. Yeah. <laughs> Numerous occasions. What did like, you do with that? We'll <laughs> <laughs> um, not talk about that. <laughs> but, uh, it had a light on it. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, that was one thing I felt like if there was, I felt like if there was one of that, one of those pieces of kit I didn't have, I would have been in trouble any of those times if I didn't have had my hats and, or gloves, like, because going over Jace at mm-hmm. like 70 man, I guess I was getting frostbite in my hands. Yeah. I never, I, I'm a, generally I'll run in the middle of winter with a singlet on. And small pair, pair of shorts you know i mm-hmm. i don't like heat but um your kit becomes so important like and even with ccc there i had every piece of that even though i was surprised that they didn't ask for a hot weather kit it was 28 degrees and i was like there's no hot weather kit needed <laughs> well, you, can, you can wear less it's your choice <laughs> yeah. right like so did you look like are you getting takeaways from each of these races then as you go on you, you can feel your experience building sort of yeah well i've learned um that i don't like cold weather and that i'm okay in hot weather mm. you know ccc and tds were hot races i was fine um rondadel sims both years storms um even though i went better prepared the second year i was still really cold because okay. thunderstorm um big hail uh, your feet get really wet because there's the trails covered over. I had on good gear, but I still seem to get cold feet and cold hands. Mm. You know, whenever I whenever I go into the mountains at any point, I take two pairs of gloves. The second, well, pair of gloves plus waterproof mittens. Yeah. Because those waterproof mittens, even if it's not cold, if it's not wet, I should say, uh, the mittens can keep my hands warm. Yeah. Um, I carry bivy and a foil blanket you know if I don't need them but it's good to get into the way of just carrying that it, it takes no space um, but if you don't need them you might meet someone that does you have to get over the fact they will wait don't you do you know what I mean because that's, that's the only yeah. reason why you wouldn't bring it I don't mind I don't mind wait and I think this year was the biggest change in that because um, 
I knew that, well, I was doing a lot of training that involved carrying weight mm-hmm. just to, to get extra strength. So, you know, I would go for a, a run and I would pack everything in. You know, I, I see, I see um, these American races, they have very little mandatory kit. There was not arguments, but disagreements mm. on the, the races Facebook group about people, you know, why do I need to carry a waterproof jacket? Or, you know, why do I need to... It's not going to rain in this race. It actually did, but... <laughs> um, just carry all the stuff. It's mm. great training. You know, the days you don't have to carry that stuff, you know, maybe you're, you're in a fell race or something like that. So, great. Mm. You feel even lighter. Definitely. Um... So the second time round, you said it was, did you finish the second time round in Andorra? The race was stopped. Well, it, it just got cancelled then yeah, because the yeah. not bad. I was 38 hours in. And, Jesus. Uh, <laughs> uh, climbing up um, to uh, Refugee de Ilia at about 2,500 metres. A thunderstorm had come in. It had dropped loads of hail massive hail i have gopro of this hiding under you're not meant to hide under a tree in thunder and lightning but you know you it had to just felt better than standing out in the open well it felt better than getting hit by malteser sized hail <laughs> so there was so much hail come down it covered the trail and um the organizer said that you couldn't see the markers so they weren't anyone that hadn't passed a certain point they everyone dnf'd so bar the very front of the field um, the race was stopped. So, and that stop involved um, getting up to this refuge, which was felt like you were taking your life in your hands. You know, my family are just pray. They're like, you're not going to go back to that race again, are you? <laughs> but um, there was about 80 people had to sleep in this mountain hut overnight. Again, I was the only person that spoke English. They give the instructions on, you know, this is what we're going to do, etc., etc., in um, whatever night, I think it was uh, Catalan or whatever Jeez, it was. It sounds like a downer, like. Yeah, but then uh, the next morning, you know, everyone was soaked. Take your clothes off, try and get them dried, uh, where's, where's whatever, whatever you can, you know, to maintain your kind of modesty and uh, sleep on a wooden floor. And then the next morning, right, get your wet clothes on. We've got a six-hour hike to the bus. Jesus. That's what I was going to say then. Like, it's not a matter of just getting picked up by the car. Yeah. Six-hour hike to the bus. Yeah. And how was that then? So how far away were you from the finish in that race? Um, Three that, quarters away. Yeah, so I probably had about 40k mm. to do. Um, pro- that was... Your energies would have been pretty low at that stage, like mm-hmm. your energy and all would have been pretty low at that stage of the race, like so. I wasn't feeling great at yeah. that point. I was with a friend of mine, Tim, um, who had been. I there. think I'd be relieved. <laughs> I was like, yes, it's not me. It wasn't me. <laughs> no, well, you see, the aid station after that mountain hut was the uh. second and last drop bag. So if I had have got past that mountain hut. I would have been allowed to continue. I could have got dry clothes on and I would have finished the race. That's a pain in the ass. So coming away from that race, I, I thought, I went into that trained and ready and the second year, the weather has taken a finish mm. away. That's hard. The first year it was, you know, it was, wasn't all weather. This year, that year it was, it was 100% weather. 
you know, I could have continued. Um, so I decided I wasn't going to go back. And then I had to find something for the next year, which was this year. What, what was your biggest two learn? What was your biggest learning out of doing those two races? Definitely. It, well, it, it came down to um, the fact that I don't cope well and if I get okay. too cold. So you don't think there's a way of resolving that like through kit or anything? Well, there is. Yeah. So I, you know, I used to wear Innovate and North Face raincoats and things. And I, I would still wear them mm. on shorter runs, but I use the Columbia Out Dry yeah. raincoat, which is brilliant. It's, it's, there's no rain getting through that. I was just listening to you there and I remember talking to you and Keith as well. Like, and he said the difference that made, mm -hmm. you know, through the race, through the spraying race. Yeah. And it was him and one other guy as well that had it. Mm -hmm. And he said the difference that that kit, that little piece of kit made in those treacherous conditions, like, mm -hmm. can make or break your race. Like, yeah. The, the only downside to the Columbia Outdrive mm -hmm. stuff is that you need to put on the rain pants. Because the rain runs straight right. off you and soaks everything below it. <laughs> so I learned that the hard way, but um, I've got the bottoms on, on the top. So you say UTMB, it went really well for you. What was the finish like in UTMB? What was your time? So what time? When, when were you finishing? Um, I finished, I don't even know what day it was, but I, I finished in the morning, um, quite early in the morning. Well, like not... Before six, seven, eight o'clock. No, I finished like around eight o'clock or something okay. in the morning, and my mum and dad and wife were there, which was, it was their first race for all wow. three of them, so they really got a treat. My dad got so yeah. into that race, you know. Since since UTMB in the weeks that followed, he would text me, you know, who's this guy Killian Journey? <laughs> I've been watching this guy on YouTube. <laughs> He's brilliant. Um. Yeah, so I finished in the morning. My time was, I gonna say thirty six hours or something, something like that. Yeah. Um, and I had a pretty good run. Um, the last, the last bit was a bit. I can remember falling asleep while I was, just put my head down on top of my poles and then you know quickly woke up. How long was I sleeping and standing up for? Um, I spent quite a bit of that race with um Ron. Uh, Ron Peacock from the North Coast. Brilliant. We ran part of that, a good part of that together. We finished it together, um, and that was so we we had we had good crack. I was quite blown away by how many people that I knew and how many people I was meeting. I was meeting even on the race. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like what? You know, it's unbelievable, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um. So UTMB, you don't get anything more prestigious than that. Um. Did you have it in your head, like, what was going to come after that? No. I didn't know. It took me a long time to decide or to find a race. There was nothing that really lit a fire mm -hmm. and inspired me. Um, I looked at lots of different races. I, I thought about... Um, I thought about a number of different races. I would considered going back to Rondadel Sims again. Um, <laughs> I uh, I know now that this year's race has passed, and I had no feeling that I was missing out, that I made the right decision not to go back, and I'm glad to say I'll probably never be back at that race, um. But, I just came across came across um 
Bigfoot 200. I, I did know about the race. I knew about the Triple Crown. I knew, uh, obviously, of, of Candace Burt, the organiser. And um, the time of year, um, the location, lots of things just felt right. And whenever I saw it, and within half an hour, I had thought, this is, this is the one. I was excited, you know, this, is, this could be cool. Yeah, two hundred mile race. So tell me a little bit about the race. Yeah, so it's um, it starts at Marble Mountain, um, which is just south of Mount St Helens, um, in this, Washington State. Yeah. I've done a bit of running around there myself, actually. So, really? So we used to do a lot of traveling or work to Seattle. Mm-hmm. Um, the trails there are amazing, like yeah. Rattlesnake Ridge. Mm-hmm. It's a place I used to go trail running all the time, like um, beautiful sort of. Untouched Pacific Northwest forests, cascades, and, yeah, cascade mountains. Yeah, because St. Helens is a volcano, isn't it? Uh, yep, yeah, yeah, actually. Well, it's still active, and it, and it, I think it erupted in 1980, yeah, because we went to the site of that, and mm-hmm. all the trees are sort of still blown away. Yes, the race goes through the blast zone, right? Okay, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you kind of run up to as if you're running up to the summit, and then you so he doesn't like cold, he just likes hot rocks now, he doesn't want yeah. any hailstones <laughs> besides Maltesers hitting him, but I can take the hot, yeah, and um, yeah, so it's a 200 and um five or six mile race with about 15,000 meters of climbing. Jeez. Um, it starts on a Friday morning and it finishes, the cutoff is a Tuesday afternoon. So it's it's a long race. So small, obviously a lot smaller scale. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's quite a jump, 100 miles to 200 miles. Yeah. Um, what did you do then to bridge that gap? Because you're not going to, Double the length of your training sessions. Yeah. So, in just experience through the, the years of, of doing these races, I the year, a couple of years ago, I did the Transylvania 100k in my okay. build-up to Rondadel Sims. And it was end of May. And um, Rondadel Sims was, let's say, the f- first half of July towards the middle. Did you meet any bears? No, because guess why? Because oh. I'm always running in thunderstorms and right. bears don't like thunder. <laughs> Again, um, thunderstorms. So uh, I did that race and I did. I had a, a really good run actually, but I realised that a hundred k was too far in preparation for a hundred miles. Right. I I think it interrupted the training too much. Okay. So the following year. I decided the most that I'm going to do is 50-odd K or whatever it was. Um, that is quite important though, isn't it? Because I was sort of limiting myself to around 20 miles around that. Mm-hmm. Um, I did do the one which is 50K then max. Yeah. And that took me... Um, you don't need to... Because I know people that are training for 50-mile races and they're doing like 40-mile runs... Yeah, well, f- for the fling, we would have been, you know, way back when, we might have been doing 20-mile runs. Yeah. Maybe 20 miles or so one day, and maybe 10 mm. the next, you know. Um, because your body... The do... best part is consistent training. So if yeah. you train too much, then you can't keep it going. You're just recovering. Um, so I, I went into this year thinking, 
I need to go my my kind of training goals needed to be shorter. Okay. Um more consistent. Yeah. So Transylvania took twenty two hours, um, or twenty hours, something like around right. around then. And the my longest days leading up to big Bigfoot where um I did an out and back on the Mamturks in Galway, which was sixty something K took fourteen hours. And then the following day I did the Glen Coven Horseshoe, which was only about five hours or something. But oh my god, hours. those mountains are amazing. Um, such a great place. And then the other um kind of training goal was the more than five hundreds and that took twelve and a half hours. So that I think is a nice point because I was able to do I was able to that's that's the type of volume volume that you can do that doesn't kill the next week. You might take two or three days more recovery, but you're not wiping out a fortnight yeah. or, or, you know, a week to 10 days trying to get back onto your training plan. Brilliant. And the race is out then, 200, 200, 205, 206 yeah, miles. Yeah, 206 point something miles, yeah. That's an ATB course, which is unusual yeah. for a race that length of time. Yeah. Um, you flew over then, it's quite a journey over to... Yeah, Washington. I flew over on my own on on a Wednesday, Wednesday morning. The race started on Friday morning. Um, so arrive in Seattle, pick up a hire car and drive to a, a small town which has a petrol station, a cafe, a motel and a, and a, a primary school and uh, called Randall. And uh, I stayed in a motel right beside the, the, the race HQ. And the finish line, it finishes at a, the track at this school. And I was in this motel right beside it. And it's yeah. the first race I've ever had to do that's that long. You check out of the hotel before the race. And then you come back and check in afterwards. <laughs> so how did you get to start the race then? They bus you down? Or? Yeah, it's um, like a three-hour bus journey to the start. Um, so you got the bus at half five or something like that. You know, they, they left. It's big American yellow school bus. There was um, several of them, you know, in, in convoy going to the start, going through the mountains, these wee roads. Um, what type of characters were there at the start line? Yeah, you know, the, the great thing about running is it's um, people from all backgrounds and, you know, it's great going over there and meeting all these different People who, you know, I now can call friends, you know, we've run part of this race together, we've hung around the, you know, the start finish together and, and things and just all different sorts of personalities, you know, um, and, and ages as well. How are you feeling then? You've done all the work. Excited just to start yeah. and get into it, like... Felt excited, but not not too buzzed, you know, just yeah. keeping it... You had a job to do sort of thing. Like... Keeping it chilled, but... Um, Wanting to get started, looking forward to, you know, I was, I was excited to get started. I was excited to see what, what, this would feel like. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds crazy when you put it like that, don't you? Excited to, to see what a two hundred mile race would feel like with forty two thousand feet. Yeah, it's quite a stiff climb to start the race, isn't it? Yeah, it's a good. It's a good. It was a good climb, but. You've done all the training, you've. Had a good yeah. taper. That climb felt like nothing, you know. 
they're just bruised by um, and then after that climb you go into the um, the start of the blast zone which is just it's rock hopping you know it's like the eastern side of Donard only the rocks are you know yeah. the size of half size of this sofa and, and um, that goes on for quite a period of time and do you find the race because how many people are in the race like a couple hundred yeah so the American races tend to have quite small fields because of permits and things so it's capped at 200 runners okay. I don't think they reached the capacity um, and I'm sure there was a f- quite a few that didn't start as well so um, I don't know the exact number but it was maximum mm-hmm. a 200 person field maybe 180 started so how did the race sort did it sort of split up at the beginning of the race or people pretty much bunching together so like, do you want to do you want to bunch together or do you want to just get into your own mind and move away? I just wanted to. I enjoy kind of. I enjoy racing, mm-hmm. so I just knew what. I wasn't gonna react to the people around me. I was just going and and, you know, running, kind of at my thinking about. I wasn't wearing a heart rate monitor, but I knew what would feel like too much, so I was just running to that. You know, okay. doing as as well as I could, and um, I started at the front, um, because that's the way to do it. <laughs> you know, you don't know. Uh, it's a small enough field. It's gonna go into a single track at some point. Um, you don't want to be passing people that early on because that takes some effort as well. So, yeah. um, I met some people. You know that I was friend was friendly with some people there so we kind of just started the race together and I went from okay. there so tell me how that went then how did the first 50 miles go um first off at the start of the race which was pretty cool um they there was a guy um Phil and he's an ex army serviceman and uh he sang the national anthem and ran the race so he stood up in front of everybody underneath the starting arch and um sang the american national anthem and you know all the rah-rah and cheer so that was that was pretty cool um and then so the race started and uh quite early on i could see that there wasn't you know i wasn't in a bunch you know i was running with a guy uh to start called dax from california who's in tahoe racing right now and we ran the first we probably ran about 30 miles together and we were fifth and sixth. Um, and then when we got round the mountain, um, so first off we climbed up, we went through the blast zone, we were just having fun, you know, we were chatting away, getting to know each other, you know, where are you from, you know, yeah. how's your training been? And you know, oh oh you know such and such too, you know, it's it's that's that yeah. kind of chat. Um and then whenever we got out into kind of the barren um blast zone which was very exposed uh it was a bit flatter and he pulled away and <laughs> i didn't see dax again but he uh he finished i think he finished about fifth right okay uh, maybe maybe higher i'm not sure so he had a he had a good run um but uh yeah so through the blast zone and then we climbed up to the second aid station which was windy ridge uh at mile i'm gonna say it was it must have been around around 30 i'm not going to say where the mileages are because i'm going to yeah, get them all wrong fine. um <clears throat> but i was having a 
a good run. I was enjoying it. Um, just keeping making sure I was getting the mountain fuel into the bottles and filling them up with water. And I would generally want to eat something every hour. So um, I would just keep an eye on that. What type of things were you eating? Gels. <laughs> <laughs> um, in the aid stations I was eating, um, early on anyway, I was eating watermelon. Um, it was easy. It was there. I didn't really want solid foods at, at that point. I was still running um, fast enough that I didn't want the sandwich or slice of pizza in my stomach. Um, but uh, Was there food there to, on offer? Yeah. yeah. Sometimes I, what I found was I was gorging. I have a bad habit of gorging for some reason. And I'm telling myself, even coming up to it now, I'm trying to play it out in my head. I go and take this just to make sure I'm disciplined. Mm-hmm. And something overtakes me. Like I'm coming out of the fuel station and think, shit, done again. But what happens to me is when it touches my lips, it tastes 10 times better than I thought it was going to. Yeah. I, I, I don't think, I wasn't feeling very hungry. I was just eating because it felt like, because I knew I should. Mm. And, you know, it might be hours to the next aid station and all I had was the powdered drink, some gels, yeah. and uh, maybe a couple of cliff bars or something. I I had cliff bars in my drop bags. I always had one or two on my pack. I didn't need one cliff bar the whole race. And I carried one cliff bar the whole way around that race and I brought it home. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes you just don't feel like eating some of these things. Yeah. Um, the next aid station was um Windy Ridge, which was up at a Windy uh or sorry was Johnson Ridge, which was up at Johnson Observatory, which looks out at Mount St Helens, um so the views were were brilliant, yeah. um and that was mile forty. Still, are you body checking yourself there, or like you're just like yeah, this is going good, like your confidence. Yeah, well, you don't really know. It, it felt like it was going good. Did you good. feel confident like, at that stage? It's going well, everything's going good. Well, it was. Yeah. But it was only 40 miles in. Yeah, but still like an early check. You know? Yeah. You can I say knew. it's only 40 miles because it's a 200 mile race. Yeah. But, you know, you're feeling really good at 40 miles. like so. Yeah. Well, I, I came through Johnson Ridge. I think I hit the timing mat at 8 hours and 11 um, for 40. So... That was good. That seemed pretty good. Mm. I it was all down to exertion. I wasn't exerting myself. Um, I was using. I had my poles. I was using them on the climbs, and uh, it just felt. I felt good. It felt nat- natural, and it didn't feel like I was using too much effort, and I was keeping on top of the food. Um, the next aid station was Coldwater Lake, and that was the aid state. That was an important one, because that I was getting a drop bag there. Okay. And I knew I needed to get, um, he- I was carrying a, a head torch to take a mandatory um, kit list, but it wasn't the head torch I wanted for the night. Okay. So when I was getting to this drop bag, I was getting my, um, maybe a change of clothes or something and um, my good head torch for the, for the night section. And what was, how long is the night over there at the minute? It's not... Much different than here, is it? Well, really? it gets darker earlier. Yeah, that's yeah. Right. The the night's longer. Um. 
went into Coldwater Lake and that's the first time that I had real food and uh, I started a theme that I continued throughout the rest of the race. So I'd read in a few reports and things about people eating grilled cheese sandwiches and uh, I just wanted to have a grilled cheese sandwich. So I got a grilled cheese sandwich. Um, they had the aid stations, by the way, are, are brilliant because of the people. Yeah. You know, there are less than <clears throat> 200 runners. An aid station might have five, ten people. I came into that aid station there was four or five people in front of me. Two of them had already left. So there was at least two to one, maybe three to one volunteer to run her. You know, so you just get swarmed. Can I fill your bottle? What do you want to eat? How can I help you? Are your feet okay? You know, these people wanted to, you know, burst blisters on your feet and they would do anything for you. They were, they were, they were just so friendly. You know, I, I've said this before um, since the race. It was that kind of hometown feel, mm. but with American hospitality. And it was just, it was brilliant. It, was brilliant. You know, it, had to, it had to be experienced, and I haven't experienced it anywhere else. And compare that to racing in Europe at UTMB and Ronda del Sims, where, you know, they have hundreds of people coming yeah. through the aid stations. There's a language barrier. I got shouted that a couple of times. Yeah. And I was like, yeah. right. <laughs> Don't, you're not like yeah. take a banana out of the aid station, you know, because some, some the, people the skin were, and things. didn't look happy to even be there. Yeah. <laughs> to help you, like, you know, they were quite abrupt, like, but it's maybe just part of their culture too. Some, but there were fantastic people there as well, obviously. Yeah, like, they didn't like you because of Brexit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it was like. So, continuing on then, so come up to the 50 mile mark then. Yeah, all so, the way through the race. Do you think that when you hit fifty mile, do you? No, okay. I, I'm I'm breaking the race up into hours. Okay. You know, my kind of mantra was I knew my average moving speed, not not um not minute kilometers or anything like that my moving um pace that I wanted to hold or speed average speed. So I was just getting a check on that every hour mm. and um, because I forgot to turn out, turn off auto lap on my watch. So every hour my watch was telling me, oh, you've been moving at six kilometers an hour or whatever it was. It's pain in the ass that because you can't. You can't adjust it after the activity started and we're not, <laughs> we're not stopping after yeah. 50 miles to start again. Um, so I was just breaking the race up into, into hours. And I had pace or average speed goals that I wanted to um, carry. So that kept me moving. You know, if you maybe dropped a minute um, or a kilometer per hour on a certain a certain climb, you wanted to make it up okay. maybe plus some, but without exerting yourself in the next bit. So whenever you come out of that aid station, whenever I, I arrived in, the um, the guy behind me, left before me and I pride myself of being quick in aid stations but I was sitting there eating a grilled cheese sandwich and I had a cold tin of sparkling water which just felt so good uh, and he left in front of me a guy called uh, Adam and so I quickly right I gotta go and uh, so I chased him along along Coldwater Lake um, because I wanted to go into the the next section uh, it's not really that I I feel like I shouldn't say I wanted to go into it with 
looking for company, but I didn't want someone to get too far ahead of me. Yeah. Um, it was a race, but also going, it's nicer to run with somebody as well. It, it's, it was an opportunity to get to know someone and have a chat and okay. and uh, experience it as well. And it was in the night time. So okay. anyway, I caught up to Adam before the end of the, the, the lake. And he was like, you know, yeah, you know, just you go on. Because I had obviously caught him, but I was happy. I was only running harder to catch him. And then I was happy we were going into this climb. And, and uh, he, was, uh, he was a professional hunting guide in Montana. That was his career. And uh, we kind of joked about, you know, he had great training. Just long days in the mountains all day with a heavy pack. You know, so he, he was a strong climber. But we spent that first, uh, that first night, that section together from Coldwater Lake to um, Norway Pass, I think. Was it what was what was the weather like at that stage? Because the Cascades, it can rain a lot in Seattle. Yeah, you know, because I always argue with them over there that it actually rains more there than it does in Ireland. Yeah, well, you know, going into that race, the weather forecast was <clears throat> kind of thirty-ish degrees. Um, not too humid, which is great. Um, but there was thunder forecast for the Friday night. <laughs> so it was on the climb. Um, must, any race I go to enter, I'll make sure that you're not entering it. Yeah, I, I, I bring the weather. Um, so this section is a long section. There's several long sections in the race where you will go 20 miles um, with... I'm going to round it around to say maybe 1500 meters of climbing in that 20 miles. So, um, but the climbing there is, you know, we ran along a lake, which was flat. And then you do, you have to do the climb. Right, yeah. This section also had us the highest point in the course, um, where we did an out and back to the summit of Mount Margaret. Um, so whenever we were doing this climb, uh, starting this climb, we could hear the rumbles of thunder. It was getting dusk at that point. By the time we got to the, the the first part of the climb topped out and then we were kind of traversing through the, the higher point, higher peaks, um, it started really rumbling and lightning was coming down and then it was raining and it just got really bad. And we started, this part of the course overlapped with the 100k. So we started to meet 100k runners. It was like were, a 20 mile, 40 mile and 100k races, wasn't yeah, well, it? Yeah. Yeah. Um and after this point you wouldn't that was the end of the hundred K. You know, the, the hundred Kers went a different direction after this point. So after um the next aid station it was just two hundred milers. Point of no return almost. Yeah, well the point of, of going several hours without <laughs> seeing anybody. <laughs> uh so the, the lightning was uh coming down really close. Hundred K runners maybe past three of them who were um, turning around and coming back. Was like, that lightning was too close to me. I'm not, I didn't sign up for this. <laughs> <laughs> I've got what I thought was mandatory kit. Brilliant. <laughs> um, the lightning was so bad. It's the first time ever, I've ever seen horizontal lightning Jeez. just going across the sky in front of you. Um, the trails were quite narrow and they just turned into streams. So... Yeah, I was just thinking, here we go again. Because the Cascades 
draws all that in as well. Like, yeah. you know, they have a almost a, a climate of their own. Yeah. Well, I think that's why the Pacific Northwest is green. Yeah, well, there I you mean, go. That's why Ireland's <laughs> green, because yeah. it rains all the time. Um, so we went through this section. I had forgot to lift my waterproof mittens out of this um, drop bag. So straight away, my gloves had got wet. Hands were cold. I made the mistake of not putting on my waterproof trousers. I didn't lift my Columbia out dry. It was in it was in that drop bag. Yeah, no, I didn't. I just thought this is this is uh, this race has never seen weather like this before. I'm not at a high altitude like I have been in Andorra and at UT- UTMB. You know that the highest point in this race was just short of eighteen hundred meters. Um, but they were all bad choices, bad decisions. So they're very quick decisions or choices that you make at that point. So you've got your drop bag. Do you know what I mean? You're trying to move through as quickly as you can as well. It can just change everything, can't it? Yeah. I paid dearly for that mistake. You can't see this, but you might see it on the video, but his face showed him <laughs> how dearly he paid there. Um, because it was like me going into champion that, you know, you know, I, I really made a real bad feeling. I didn't even need any fuel. But yeah, I I took it. And when I left, I thought I shouldn't have took that. And the whole thing just went pear-shaped. Mm-hmm. I do feel it would have been in a lot better shape anyway if I hadn't done that. Um, I heard like of Billy Reid when he was at the Barclay, he never took his coat out. You know, the simple little decisions you <laughs> yeah. make. In these races, when you're you're walking the line, you know, yeah, they can make or break you. You know, in, in Rondadel Sims, when I stopped... I was like, I need to put on the bad weather kit. When I stopped to do that, my friend Tim, I said, you keep going. You're moving slow enough that I'll, I'll catch up. I never saw Tim again. Tim got evacuated and didn't have to spend the night in that mountain hut. So, you know, in Bigfoot, I decided, I was with this guy, Adam. We were, uh, we were getting it done. You know, we were, mm. we were getting to the next aid station and um, we were marching through these, through these mountains and I decided not to put on the waterproof bottoms. Then there's a point when you get so wet that you decide, well, what's the point in putting on these waterproof bottoms? <laughs> I can tell you that when I ultimately put them on later on in the race, I didn't take them off for about 100 miles. <laughs> um, so I got, we, we got to the next aid station. I was really cold. I was shivering. My hands were froze. I couldn't feel my hands. But I, I could see the aid station, you know, for an hour before I got there. And that was, you know, we, Adam and I both said, what do you do? You know, you have to get to there. Are you going to sit down in the trail? Well, no, that, that would kill you. You know, you're just going to, you have to keep moving. And so you keep moving. And I got into the aid station and um, I had a drop bag there. There was four moving drop bags. So this was a different drop bag than the previous one. So the, the, the good raincoat was moving 100 miles okay. into the future. Um, so I got in there and I was cramping so badly because I was really cold. And that's what it does to me. Um, so I said, I need to lie down. I need to get blankets over me. I need to, I need to warm up. Um, so I got into it. They had sleep stations and things. 
uh, it was raining so bad inside the tent the water it was just it was full of water I think we're doing such a good job of turning people off <laughs> these messes you know <laughs> this is the hardship that makes the ultimate finish feel so good yeah. um, but I get into this sleep station I took off my clothes I put on my warm clothes and some of these drop bags I packed sleep clothes because I knew I would have to take some sleep breaks and just like going back to the Highland Fling you pack way too much stuff in a drop mm. bag so I had um, bottoms, long long bottoms I could put on. I had a, a down jacket that I could put on. So I got fully dressed and I got in into this sleep cot and two blankets, which I'm not even, they should be called Hessian sacks. They were so rough, they were not nice, but I had two of these over me and I stayed in that aid station for three hours. Okay. And I didn't want to stay three hours, but I couldn't. I couldn't move until I warmed up because I had to wait until the cramping had stopped and um, I started to, you know, when I started to kind of come around, I was starting to hear voices and I was like, oh, I'm getting past, people are passing me and um, everyone was coming into this aid station traumatised, you know, people were also in the previous aid station frightened to leave it. So uh, this was just this this weather system that had come through. I think they said it was the, the worst storm in the area in decades. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't a it wasn't an, an endurance storm. It wasn't as bad as that. But we weren't up at another thousand meters because that would have made a big difference. So have you ever been tested for like a positive charge or something that attracts? <laughs> <clears throat> this type of weather people were saying that their hair was standing up and things like that but that, no it didn't happen to me um, so I got I got dressed uh, I the guy came in to check on me because he said what time do you want me to come and get you I think it was I think he opened the tent up at 10 past 2 it took me another 35 minutes to get out of the aid station get dressed got something got a um, grilled cheese sandwich or something and uh, and then I started moving and boy was I moving good I dropped I asked what position I was in and as, as I was leaving and I dropped back to I think 14th or 15th okay. and um, but I felt I felt I felt fresh you know I I was I, all through the training I was training to run when you didn't want to run so I got up I got dressed and once you start running I'd run so much that year, that that felt normal. Lying in the cot, you know, trying to warm up didn't feel normal. Standing around thinking, should I eat something? I meant to eat something didn't feel normal. But whenever I started running, it felt normal. So I started off to the next aid station. Um, I forget what name, the name of it, but it wasn't a long, it wasn't a long section. Um, I got about 20 minutes out and then I, realized that I forgot something and I had to go back again. No way. I forget what I, I left my poles. I, I left my poles beside poles. the water bottle or the, the water tank. When that I was... must be one of the deadly sins because people do it like, I yeah. did it in Seven Sisters as well, but that, when you go to get them, you realize, shit. Yeah. Well, the problem in, in the UTMB races is there's so many poles lying around, you're frightened <laughs> of someone else lifting them. That's right. But, so I had to go back and get the poles and just get it done, you know, back out there and in the next two sections um 
I managed to come back. It was quite undulating, so that you know somebody had said to me, you you know if you're able to run and move well, you you could um, make some good time in this section. Considering you're also the first person to have slept, mm. no one else in the race had slept at this point. Um, so I started moving and cut a long story short over the next two sections which led me through to the next morning let's say nine eight or nine I had um, come back up to eight um, but I was I was catching people and passing people so quickly there was no time to even exchange anything other than a hi you know you know hope you're good you know it was a it was like wow where's he going um but uh, it felt good. I wasn't exerting myself too much and uh, I was just getting back on with the plan. So we were into day two at this point. And, uh, How did that feel like moving into the daytime? Now, was it still raining at that time? It sort of stopped. The storm was, was over um, and it wasn't raining. It didn't rain again until the Saturday night. Um, but it was always misty, wet cloud, that kind of Pacific Northwest feel. You were never far from the rain. It's certainly... The sun came out a few times. Um, but, and you know, the race does start... Is a bit of a blur for me in this Saturday through to Sunday morning. You know, I, I remember significant things that happened throughout the race. But sometimes I'm thinking, was that aid station Saturday or Sunday? Or, you know, I remember the start through to Saturday morning. But from Saturday morning through to Sunday morning, what actually did I do then? You know, where was I? What, what was it? Did you know what distance you were at? Like, did it did they have markers, like a hundred mile marker? Did you hit that? Um, well, I, I had a I had a piercing sheet, so okay. it had a profile, the name of the aid stations and what distance okay. they were at, and I converted all of the distances into kilometers, so I knew this aid station to the next one is, you know, 30K with 1,600 metres. Okay. Um, in hindsight, I think to race in America, I should have changed my watch to miles. So I should have done all my training in miles and, and, and um, feet of elevation because you were talking to people in aid stations and, you know, what's this next climb like? And they're like, well, it's 2,000 feet of climb straight out of here. And, you know, like, What's that again? You know, and 30 hours into a run, you can't do maths. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it doesn't work out right. But um, but I knew where I was in the race with the aid stations. You know, I had a routine when I would go into the aid station. You know, when was the last person here? When did that last, when did the previous person leave? Um, so you were really focused on your position at that stage. You were holding top 10 spot. I knew that where I was prior to the storm is where I, I felt natural. Mm. The guys that were in front had created a gap on the first climb and I only saw them when I was going into the aid station. Maybe they were still there or maybe they had just left. Um, but I was just running where I felt comfortable. So you, you were, there's quite a long period now. Have you been on your own then? I was after that, whenever I split up from Adam, because he didn't, he didn't need to sleep, he continued on. Um, 
I really didn't run the race with anybody anybody else the rest of the race so that was that was about mile 65 I think Coldwater Lake <laughs> so from 65 to 205 or 206 whatever it was I didn't run with anyone else and do you do you enjoy that type of running sort of it's good that it's new terrain isn't it your experience and new trail yeah like, that's nice wow I've done 65 miles so. <laughs> but you know it doesn't matter the, the distance in ultra you know you are breaking it into yeah you know the distance to the next aid station or you're breaking it into hours mm-hmm. or the morning or the day you're breaking it up so you're not looking at the yeah. fact that you're still going to be breaking things up 24 hours later you're not thinking that far was, it, was there any point that you were thinking coming to the 100 mile mark shit I have to do all that again no, the, that was excitement. It was like, oh, wow, I've done 100 miles. Wow. There was an aid station at about 100 and just over 100 miles. And I remember them saying, oh, you've, you, you've, you're over the 100 mile mark. I was like, oh, yeah, cool. You know, yeah, that, that felt good. good. That was Saturday. Um, that aid station was Lewis River, which was a beautiful section. This, I remember after the race, I, I, I went and asked, where is Lewis River? You know, is that somewhere that I could even go and visit before I go back to Seattle to, um, you know, to, to meet people? Because people were going there and they were camping and this beautiful big river and they were, you know, out in the river. And it just, it was nice weather on that Saturday afternoon. And I was going up along this, this river trail. Um, but anyway, Lewis River Aid Station was just over the 100 mile mark. It felt good to get there. So it was all different types of terrain then? Yeah, yeah. So you're going sort of like trails, you talk about boulders, sort of like forest trails. Lots of, you know, that al- or, um, pine forest. Mm. Um, but they also, have bears there as well, don't they? Yeah, they, have in Seattle, they like do. That. But I think the, the concern more would have been cougars. Um, there's mountain lions and cougars and there's bears, but there's not the bears aren't dangerous. It's not. It's a black bear. I think it's a black yeah, bear. Yeah, it's not a dangerous um, bear. It's one that will rummage around in your bins. Yeah, I, so. I never saw any bears. I didn't think about any bears. There was a section of the race where people saw a cougar, and they felt like that cougar was watching them, so they kind of grouped together. That whole section I did on Saturday evening, going into dusk. <laughs> that was a long section um, but yeah I didn't say I saw lots of frogs <laughs> big big frogs um, I saw some mice some voles and things like that um, but no 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 big mammals how did it feel going into your second evening then so you've had long, a long stretch of a day seems to be going pretty okay like at that stage yeah I'm feeling like wow I've done 100 miles there and you weren't thinking shit I've got to do this again because this is sort of new territory now yeah I was just trying to catch catch Adam okay. that was you know um, I got up to the point that he was the next person and in the aid stations you would always meet crew because it's an American race there's pacers and there's crew and things so whoever was behind me their crew was usually in the aid station so I got to know some of those people and um, one, the, the, the winning female um, 
Sofia from Argentina, I got to know her crew really well because she was just behind me and um, her crew were, were so helpful. I've got something to say about her crew later on that really were they really helped me but so I would see them every time and you know I remember one aid station because um, I met them before the race uh, one aid station I had two tops on I wanted to get rid of one of them I was like you know could you take this you know I don't want to carry this and, it's, and they're like yeah no problem and they're is there anything else we can do for you can I get you some food you know it was like they were working on at an aid station um, so they were really really helpful but um, leave it, heading towards Lewis River I had an update on how far ahead or how long Adam had left and at every aid station I was closing in but there was he I had slept for three hours and I was I got the gap down to about 45 minutes by the time I got to Lewis, uh, Lewis River um, and at that aid station I had met his crew and um, I remember one of his crew said to me I had, one of the things I, I wanted at every aid station a grilled cheese quesadilla because that's like think of that as an American grilled cheese sandwich and I had this idea of getting pickles in it so from about mile 65 the whole race every time I went to the main aid station what would you like? A grilled cheese and pickle quesadilla and they're like what <laughs> trust me it's good <laughs> so i'd been into the seed station and i'd asked for a grilled cheese quesadilla and did you have any cold cans of sparkling water because you notice they, they yeah. serve the this in ultras it's nicer than the flat taste of water or you know something that's not carbonated they didn't but one of adam's crew said i've got a can in my car you know, you can have it if you like. So he went, he walked to the car and brought this back and he said to me, if you if you catch Adam, make sure you tell him I give you this can of cold water and, <laughs> and that's why you've caught him. Um, Do you think it's very important to have that sort of race mindset? Give you that focus of sort of chasing something down rather than just wandering through the race? I think it's... It doesn't matter where you are in the field. Running is quite competitive. Mm. I think you know if you're, uh, if you're, no matter where you are, you're running, you're racing. Who's around you? That's part of the motivation. You know, keep going on this hill because that guy's catching you. You know, keep pushing because you're there's someone in front of you, and that can make you run at that top of the hill where you were still maybe you might break out of that height quicker. I do think I think that's important because it's something. Um, even that last race that I did, uh, stop calling it CCC now. <laughs> Four people, but um, you know, a lot of people just go to a race and try and get through the race, and that's why I think they suffer a lot mm -hmm. because you've got too much time to think when you're not zoned in on sort of race. And and why why wife told me you know you've, you've taken three hundred places. Mm -hmm. like, Shit, actually I'm racing here. Feels good. And all of a sudden, I was like, right, I want to take another 10 people in the next, within the next hour and take mm -hmm. 10 people and take, but I was actually starting to take a lot more. Yeah. And I was starting to really enjoy it, rather than even thinking about what was going on. Yeah. You know, that was a new lesson to me as well, was, you know, stay focused on the race, you're racing there. Mm -hmm. You've done all the work, all the work was farting about as such. Mm -hmm. And it totally changed my mindset, just like that. Yeah, well, it gives you a focus for the mind mm -hmm. and if you're not thinking about that, what would you be thinking about? 
there's only so long you can think about oh my breathing or my cadence or <laughs> you know after that you might th- start thinking about oh my knee feels a bit stiff mm-hmm. well if you start thinking about a stiff knee you, you can bet your bottom dollar that your knee's going to start feeling worse <laughs> don't think about bad things always think about good things yeah. you know, so that I, I think you're right it gives you a bit of a, a focus you get re-energised through the day then after going through that tough night dry up getting a bit of sun on you warming up again yeah I still felt felt really good mm. I I felt better in that race than I felt in, in any race that I've done and it, that okay. was even after the, the 100 mile mark you know it's I, quite this seems to be I looked at the elevation did a little bit of prep okay <laughs> um, or the profile should I say like um, it seemed to be like 50 miles 100 miles 107 there's these climbs at these mm-hmm. you'd almost how did they do it? Like it's right on the fifty mile mark and right on the hundred mile marks. It was quite a climb after you hit the hundred miles. Yeah, so that was meant to be one of the hardest sections. That was um from Lewis River to I forget the name of the aid station. I should have brought my my sheet. Um, I'm very well prepared. Just no, I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that was. A twenty mile section with, I'm gonna go back to meters, sixteen hundred meters of climbing or, or thereabouts, and you know you know the way it is. Whenever you're in a station, you tend to ask, "What's the next section like?" You know what it's like. You know from metrics and maybe reading a, a race report or watching something on YouTube, but um, you still do ask that local knowledge. You know, about confirmation. And um, the the woman that was there so helpful but she did say to me this section is really bad with mosquitoes and it's really steep and there's no switchbacks and it just goes on and what i learned from that section or from that experience was i need to stop asking people in aid stations because um the mosquitoes weren't bad and this the climb wasn't what she had made it out to be and but it wasn't from her experience yeah, yeah, yeah. it was steep but in my experience it wasn't steep there was a it was certainly a steep section but it felt like i went 10 miles into it before i got to this climb yeah i certainly went hours into it you know and that was annoying me a little bit in this section you know we, i crossed over this this um this creek and then this next section was um it felt like you you would climb up you were it felt you were in a creek like in a bit of a valley you would climb up go along you drop down you cross a creek you would climb up you go along you drop down you cross a creek and it felt like you were just crossing the same creek but actually there was three or four different creeks adult it just but it looked really similar and then crossing a creek and it just went on it went on for a long time it was starting to get very repetitive it didn't feel like i even is that have i crossed that creek why are they why is they doing this you know, why would a trail go up, along, down, across, do the same thing again? And it just kept repeating itself. So I was getting a bit frustrated by that. Um, and I had on um, raincoat bottoms because I thought, what's the point in taking this stuff off? Um, it's not warm and there's mosquitoes. So that was my barrier for the mosquitoes was, was the yeah. layers. Um, but... So that section went on and it started to, the light started to fade <clears throat> towards 
um, I just started on this super steep part of this climb that um, the, the lady had told me about. And it was steep and it was straight up. Um, but prior to the start of this, I had got my head torch out. And um, so whenever it started to get dark, turned on my head torch and about 30 minutes into it, uh, it flashed three times. <laughs> um, and, you know, we all know that if you've got a Petzl head torch and it does that and you've got an eight hour, eight hour battery in it, that means you've got about half an hour left before it's <laughs> going to go. And this was a new battery. It, the head torch got me through the first night perfectly. No issues. It hadn't changed the, the battery. Um, so this flashed and I thought, all of these batteries were charged. This is not, this isn't good. So before it got dark, I took out the other battery. I thought, I need to run this, run this down in case the next battery goes the same. <clears throat> so ran down, I had the little emergency Petzl E-Lite yeah. and I had it easy to get out. So whenever the head torch went off, um, I would have a light to change the batteries because I was deep in this forest. It was pitch black. When the light goes out, you can't see your hand. You can't see nothing. All you can hear is, you know, little animals and things around you. Um, so I changed the battery and off I went again. And half an hour later, this battery flashed. Jeez. Straight away, I didn't have another head torch. I just had the E-Lite. <laughs> <laughs> and the E-Lite, I had put a new battery in it, but it's not bright. Yeah. You know, you don't want to run anything with that it's purely it emergency too far ahead with it, like, so. yeah so this next this section was meant to take me about six hours i thought it would take about six and um my head torch died eventually so i was in the forest with no light i couldn't see markers i couldn't see trail um i was well over the six hours at this point it was going on to maybe nine I'd run out of food. <laughs> I didn't really know how far I was to the next mm -hmm. aid station. Um, you were confident you were still on course? I was still on course because I had my... the Part of the mandatory kit is to have the GPX okay. uh, in an app, which has Perfect. a plot of the course. And they actually check it at registration, which I think is great. Yeah. Um, so I had that, and I needed it. Um because the marking, you, you can't rely on the marking. You know, it, the marking was good. Well, just think of the conditions you just talked about. Yeah. It's not very... Well, if you've no head torch <laughs> and you're in, in, in the middle of the night, you know, you can't see anything. You can't see the markers. Um, even in UTMB, you need a head torch for it to reflect. Yeah. So I was sort of um, wandering very slowly, following the track, um, in complete ultra bonk. I mean, it was the worst I felt in in the race, and it was going on for a long time, and the hole was just getting. I don't know why deeper. I'm enjoying this, by the way. Because <laughs> <laughs> you've been there. <laughs> um, but then uh, something great happened, which ultimately saved my race, and that was um, the uh, Sophia, the ultimate female winner, um, she caught up to me and her pacer um give me his spare head torch brilliant and um 
just the fact that he gave me this head torch, I still felt so bad that, you know, uh, I felt you couldn't see the surroundings. I just got myself into such a hole. But they give me the head torch and then they're like, come on, it's only, I think they said it was like 5k to the aid station. Okay. And I was out of the climb at this point. Um, and I was starting to, okay, um, just keep get to the aid station, you know, chase them. Because um, you've only had three hours sleep at this stage as well. Yeah. Um, All of that accumulation of everything, you know, food, being a bit lost in your mind, for a better way of putting it a bit. It wasn't sleep deprivation. Yeah. I know that I'm okay up to, or, you know, getting close to 40 hours. Before. But you are tired though. I'm t- obviously I'm tired. Yeah. But, but the bunk doesn't happen through being tired. No, no, but just a combination. Energy was low. Yeah. That's why that's 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 how I was feeling. So I kind of run, run shuffled, chasing them. They were pulling away, but they only got into the aid station, you know, minutes in front of me. Um. So that felt so good, and I got into this aid station, which was called um, Council Bluff. I think it was, I'm going to say it's mile 139, could be totally wrong, but this is an aid station where the people that are working there, volunteering there, they have to, they've got a track to get into this, and they are camped out there for days, you know, their kids are there, you know, they're they're living this uh, aid station, Um, it's not one with a drop bag, because it's hard to get stuff to at this okay. point. All these aid stations are remote. You know, they're hard to get to. Um, it's not a sleep station. I needed sleep. I needed to warm up. I was cold. I was hungry. Um, the aid station chief there was a guy called Brian. And, I mean, if Brian was here right now, I would still hug him. That guy saved, saved me. Um, I, was, I said to him, he says, what do you need? I said I need to, I need to warm up I need to sleep and warm up, and so they made a cot for me in the first aid tent, and I lay there. There was no sides in it. The side the the rear of it was mesh. It was raining again. Um, I had two or three of these blankets over me. I just felt so bad. I was there for a few hours and I didn't warm up at all. He came over to me and was like, I'm not getting hot here. He says, come with me. He put me in his truck, turned on the heat and fill. Right. He says, hold up your, your jacket in front of the heater and then it'll dry, dry your clothes. See, half an hour in there. It really, I was sitting in his truck, eating the grilled cheese and pickle quesadilla. <laughs> <laughs> My clothes were drying up. This, this, the heaters were brilliant. They were pumping all this hot air onto me. Um, Ultimately, I was in Council Bluff for five hours. And in that five hours, Sophia and one other person passed. That's how spread out yeah. the field was. Um, it showed you how well you have been doing as well, though. Yeah, but I was no, I still I was wary of it because mm-hmm. I've, I've read so many reports on that race prior to it where someone said, I was in fourth place up to a mile 120, and then I DNF'd. So I did was thinking, you know, I don't want to be one of these people that, you know, has a crack in 100 miles and then doesn't finish the race. Was there any particular place that DNF'd people more than anywhere else on the course? I think I could have DNF'd there. Yeah. 
And I, I said to Brian, what would happen if I pulled out? <laughs> and his, and his re- response was, well, we're here until Monday. <laughs> and this is Saturday night. <laughs> so this was, that was halfway through my kind of trying to sleep. And at that point, I just thought, well, I better just go back to sleep again. Because <laughs> I, you know, I couldn't DNF. I had to keep going mm-hmm. and I wasn't ready to keep moving, to get moving. Well, that, that, that is, I suppose, one good thing about a 200 mile race. You've got time to work things out. Yeah. I yeah. suppose. You have to problem solve. That's part mm-hmm. of it. So here we are on Saturday night. First night I had three hours lying down, you know, partially sleeping. Saturday night, night two, I was in an aid station for five hours and I most definitely had at least a couple of hours sleep there. Um, and people are saying to me, you're the only person in the top 10 that slept. You're going to be great at the end of this race. <laughs> so I got moving out of Council Bluff. The second place female just passed. They just left in, in front of me. Um, I passed her and her pacer within about 20 minutes. And the next, it was, it was a net downhill section. Um, down to um, Chain of Lakes um, and I remember reading in a report Chain of Lakes is cold because it's down low there's lots of water and stuff so that, that is a great way to get information though isn't it other people's reports well some yeah. of these reports are ma- massive mm-hmm. one of the guys um, who's finished this race he's done Tahoe a few times done the Triple Crown his race report for Bigfoot was something like 40 pages <laughs> the one of the previous f- female winners um, her report she said she had written it as her own personal debrief so I even had her pacing on my sheet yeah. you know because I I thought I would finish it really does give you a great visualisation though doesn't it going into a race yeah. being able to read reports and yeah. try and get an idea of what it really don't stop like. too long here it's cold yeah. no one else thought it was good to stop here so i knew when i i got into chain of lakes and um, they had like a gas burner you know what do you want grilled cheese quesadilla <laughs> blanket around me i had a cup of coffee i had a you know some water that someone filled up my bottles and i, I moved ahead because i ran all of that section i wanted to i just thought if someone else runs that section, I'm not pulling away from them. If the person that I've just passed has any walk breaks, I'm just, I'm just gaining time. And um, so I had a good section. I ran. still staying in race mode, even yeah. at this stage. Like. But I, I was well rested. Mm. Um, I don't think other people maybe felt like this. I was hearing reports that, you know, the people in front of you are coming in here zombies. You know, they're moving, but their spirits aren't good. Whereas I was coming into aid stations and they said, you know, wow, this guy's in good mood, you know. Um, and that kind of helps you as well, you know. Oh, yeah. brilliant. You know, they're feeling bad. I'm feeling good. Great. <laughs> um, but it's good to see that, you know, you had a couple of, two different nights there, you know, a couple of good low, real low points as mm-hmm. well. One almost pulled you out of the race and you come through it again. Yeah. You come through those bad patches and again... I don't want to say you're sailing like, but um, you're feeling a lot better and you're able to move forward in the way that you want to at that stage of the race. Mm-hmm. That's a fair way to put it. The low on the Saturday night 
I had the experience of what was the solution on Friday? Do that again, reset, sleep, reset, warm up and move along. So I just did the same thing, but I, I, I had to do it. It took longer, um, but I knew that was the, that was the answer. Yeah. Um, and I That's was luckily, yeah, <laughs> but I was, I was also thinking, you know, maybe this happens one more time, but it's only one more time. There's yeah. only one more night left in this race. You have the answer for the low, like on this long race. Yeah. So I was moving through the chain of lakes um, section. It's quite uh, undulating, but this is the section where you've got river crossings. And, you know, one of the, th you go into the, you go into these ultras and part of it, you're trying to make, you're kind of pr trying to preserve yourself. Don't run too hard downhill. You'll, you'll blow your quads, you know, don't get your feet wet or or try to keep your feet gravel free so you don't get blisters. You know, so you're doing all of these types of things, but straight away, whenever you leave Chain of Lakes, about 20 minutes into it, you've got to cross this river with which is roped because it's really fast flowing. Um, and what sort of depth? It wasn't Up deep. to your knees sort of thing or? Uh, yeah. Up, up to high high on the shin okay. but it You're was getting your feet wet no matter what so. yeah so they said in the aid station uh you know you, you're changing your socks or anything no because i read the report and i know changing socks here isn't good <laughs> um and there was there was multiple rivers that we crossed in this section and the 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 last river was I didn't I hadn't seen any pictures of it. I just heard what people had said and they were saying, you know, oh it's the width of a football field. Really? It wasn't the width of a football field, but it was maybe um thirty meters wide. You know, it was it was wide. <laughs> it was up to the knees, but it wasn't because it was wide it wasn't fast flowing. The other rivers were were um were more narrow. So they were the water was gushing down them, you know, it was it was white water. No, and all the water was ice cold and that felt good my feet you know I had some swelling on my right ankle and um, I felt like it was I enjoyed it you know in some of these yeah. rivers I just stood in them you know for five minutes or a few minutes anyway um, just to get that kind of hot cold thing uh, but yeah that section through the rivers um, and then I was just conscious that I was trying to catch the guy in front of me. So I was continually kind of asking for these updates. And I had another big section. To How come. far ahead was he at this stage? It was, he was less than an hour. This, this is where we okay. got it down to less than an hour. And this is like three quarters of the way through the race thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, it's hard to put that into perspective mid-race mm -hmm. because the sections take longer and the distances take longer as the race goes on. Yeah. Um, but leaving this aid station, this was another long section. So this is another one of these 20 milers with big climbing and things like that. Um, but I had a, I really enjoyed this next section. Um, it had a climb up to um, Elk Peak, which was a bit of a, a bit of an out and back to the top of the peak. Um, and it had some, really great 
kind of pine forest and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So it was the scenery. Beautiful, it's absolutely beautiful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so that was, does that bring you to like <clears throat> mile 175? Is that the last sort of, because it was a climb when I was talking earlier on about 50 miles, so markets, you're like 150 miles and then you climb on up. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like 25 miles then downhill. Yeah, it doesn't, I don't remember it like that. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a it's little hard bit... work out when you look at a profile on a race that yeah. long. Yeah. You know, because. Even what looks like downhill, there's always loads of climbs in it and stuff. It's because it's such a long race. Yeah, so there was still a few aid stations left. There was the Klickitat aid station. Then after that was Twin Sisters aid station. And then the last aid station was Owens Creek. And the Klickitat aid station, that section from there. And I've got some great photographs from that aid station because um, Howie Stern um, one of the photographers was there and I was the only runner that was there so there's loads of pictures of me you know changing socks and chatting to people and it was you know again it was real community feel everyone was just how was your body holding up at this stage I had some you swelling make this sound very positive which I'm not liking <laughs> I had some swelling on my um, after about 24 hours in I had I developed this bump at the top of my yeah. shin bottom of my shin top of my ankle and it's still there um, and it kind of meant that I couldn't flex the foot that well but just with the varying terrain it didn't cause much of an issue. The next section through to Twin Sisters it was full on dark at this point and it was even wetter. It was there was like a misty rain coming down and I've, I've joked about this afterwards to some of the guys that were racing, but there was this plant and it looked silver and it just seemed to hold this amazing amount of water on every little leaf. And when you touched it, you just, you know, it just, it was like half a bucket of water just run down your leg. <laughs> <laughs> and this was on both sides of you. Um, but maybe it wasn't silver at all. This might've just been one of these hallucinations. <laughs> Uh, so we we're just getting through this through this section, and I knew I wasn't catching because of that five hour sleep on the second night. I knew I'm not going to be able to catch these guys that are in front of me, the best, and I'm not also going to meet my time goal for the race. So the best thing that I could do is just enjoy it and manage the position. So at this point, I was in eighth. And um, I didn't catch Sophia again. She just got stronger as she went on. So there was my seventh place gone that I'd been uh, covering. But um, I was in eighth and the person behind me, I knew wasn't moving faster than me. I was seeing her, okay. her crew in the aid stations. And um, this is someone that I had passed 30, 40 miles ago or whatever. And this was still the person that was behind me. The twin sisters aid station is an out and back to the aid station. So whenever I got down into that aid station, I wasn't rushing to get out of it. It was the last night. The previous two nights I had epic bonks and had to go to sleep. So this felt pretty good. I was by choice sitting down with a blanket over me, eating a grilled cheese quesadilla, (laughs) thinking how long before this next person's in? What sort of time do I have? So I knew I had 
about an hour where I could stay there and still be a couple hours ahead. Um, so that's what I did. I, and I slept in the, in the chair for about 20 minutes. But I, I kind of felt like um, that person's crew wanted me to fall asleep for longer. <laughs> <laughs> they weren't going to wake me up. Um, and uh, one of the, the girls, Piesser, was there as well. So uh, they, they kind of felt a bit, wee bit racy, a wee bit cagey. Like, mm-hmm. maybe you should just have a wee sleep there. <laughs> have another blanket. Uh, but I left that aid station because it was an out and back. I passed um, these people that were coming into it. And there was, so there was three people behind me who were maybe half an hour before they would get to the aid station, but there was drop bags. They were, they were going in there. They were in their third night too. They would need to stop. So I figured they would at least need to stop for an hour. Mm-hmm. There was an out and back. So I knew I had a couple of hours. Um, and coming out of Twin Sisters to Owens Creek, is also a net downhill section although it didn't feel it some of it was so gradually downhill that it felt more natural to you know not run so going through this this section this is when this kind of the the sleep gremlin started to get me this is the first night i hadn't slept but at this point i was i don't know 60 something hours into it um and I remember going along this section. So I I climbed out of Twin Sisters. I had dropped down towards what was Owens Creek. And then this next section, it felt like it was long stretches, um, gradually descending with the sound of a river in the distance. It was obviously Owens Creek, maybe. Um, but I started to fall asleep. So I was, I was power hiking at this point and um, I had a good cadence. I was still keeping up um, a good enough average. I knew that if I was over five um, kilometers per hour that the person behind me wouldn't catch me because I had a day's worth of experience yeah. of knowing what pace they were moving. Um, but going along this section... That I was falling asleep and drifting across to the, veering all across to the right, but the trail was quite wide, and then I I kept getting woke up by wet branches slapping me in the face, but I was still <laughs> moving forward. So after a while of doing this, so this section you would go along this long trail and you could see a marker in the distance, but it felt like it was, it felt like it was like half a kilometer away, and then you got to this marker and you gradually went round this bend. And the next, it felt like the same section again, where it's like, you could see a, you know, half a kilometer and this marker at the end. And it felt like that happened about six or seven times. And after two of these sections of hiking and getting slapped in the face to get woke up, I said, you know, screw this. I'm going to have to run. That's the only way I'm going to be able to stay awake. So I started running and I got in a, a nice kind of uh, rhythm with my breath. And I was, I covered the, the ground really well. And I ultimately appeared in Owens Creek Aid Station at, it was very early morning, it was like seven o'clock or something like that. And I was the only person there. I had surprised them because they were like, oh, we weren't expecting you, you know, just yet. And I'm like, yeah, I had to run to stay awake. <laughs> I covered the ground a bit quicker than I meant to. Um, 
But I got in there and uh, the one of the guys in the aid station, Mick, he gave me a homemade lemon Thai lemongrass soup, which was Heaven. beautiful. It was so good. I had a I had a drop bag there, so I took off these clothes that were drenched. The next section is two miles downhill on a trail, and then a half marathon on the road. No way. That is evil. <laughs> yeah. So I put on dry clothes. I dumped all my gear into the drop bag and just put into my pack what was the mandatory kit that I had to finish the race with. Changed my shoes, put on stuff. Um, put so on the shoes. Finish, is it that the finished part of it, the 13 miles? Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. Um, but you've done it sort of levels out there you've already done like 40,000 feet of climbing at this stage then yes there's there's absolutely zero climbing in this you know? in this last section there's a few little hills on the on the road but if you look at the profile it's it's dead flat mm-hmm. um I covered the downhill well I was I ran the downhill I think it was seven minute miles miles not kilometers um and then the road section, I ran about a mile or so on eight minute miles, and then my foot stopped flexing, and I could feel the muscles starting to get tighter and tighter, and it was just that it's those bloody roads, yeah. and the fronts of my shins just got really tight, and the feet wouldn't flex, so I just had two flat feet, and. Um, <laughs> It's like this is gonna take forever walking a half marathon. This is a way to feel really bad at the end of a race. You know, I should be feeling great. Um, you know, because I'm finishing. Yeah. But uh the saving grace here was this was the first time in the whole race I could get mobile service on my phone. So I pulled out my phone and I had 20 messages on whatsapp and facebook messenger messages and all these messages of people you know who were messaging me through the race no one not knowing whether i get a message or not but just kind of showing support and you know cheering me on and things like that um so i I read some of these messages and that felt good so then i i was like "You, you have to forget about this pain and just run um so i started like i'll run for two minutes and walk for one and that got me through a couple of miles um but it just started to get harder and harder but then i thought well why don't you look up the tracker i don't know why i'm enjoying this again (laughs) you keep smiling (laughs) at the painful parts (laughs) so i i got out the the um i looked up the tracker for the race thinking well how is this person behind me catching me Mm. and um whenever i checked the tracker they were hours behind me and they were traveling at the same speed that I was walking on the road. Okay. So I straight away thought, I can walk and finish. I'd already given up um, my time goals and I was just racing for the position and that position was mine. I could have went on all fours and finished that race. Um, so I ended up the next part, uh, I FaceTimed my wife and we had a chat and that got my finish line emotions out of the way. So, <laughs> um, and yeah, it was great. The last, the last couple of, uh, couple of kilometers, uh, I ran, and uh, 
finished a lap of the track and you know the cowbells were ringing and because there wouldn't be too many people there so obviously it's so spaced out yeah is it a small community of like well there's a lot of volunteers so there are a lot there are a lot of volunteers there there's somebody running around in a in a in a in a bigfoot suit (laughs) dancing and having fun um but also people that have finished in in, um in front of me were still some of them were still there you know, I was there for several hours after I'd finished. Yeah. I couldn't check into the hotel again <clears throat> until two o'clock that afternoon. And this was, uh, this was 9.44 I finished on Sunday. So how, how did it feel like, because I posted, I think it was yesterday, the day before, um, Courtney Duar doing the Tahoe 200. Yeah. And it's a great video to watch because in essence it's everything you've just explained. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And she goes like, you know, when you're pushing through all that pain and then you get it. No, you cross the finish line and then you get it. Yeah. What is that it to you? It's, 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 it's that sense of achievement. You know, you've signed up for something that you think you can do, but you're not sure. And you know that it'll take a lot of preparation and it'll take things going your way but then when you cross the finish line you've actually done it you have completed it you've it's something that i've been working on for months leading up to it just like any ultra you know there's at least three months where you're focusing on on that specific goal Uh, so it's it's just i think it goes a little bit deeper than that as well when you go through those tough patches you know, and you get stripped right down, don't you? Like several times, <laughs> <laughs> several times. But uh, the ultimate... to come through that, like it, it surprises you who you really are. Sometimes, like what you're able to achieve, because there's one thing going through two hundred miles feeling good. Yeah, nobody does that. So there's always stages through the race where it's gonna get dark mm. and hard, and you push through things that you've never you wouldn't even have dreamed you could have done like and there's something innate about it I find as well that's you're almost discovering who you are yeah I went into that race thinking mentally I I feel I can do this but can my body hold up for double the length of time double the distance so that is the unknown and that's why I was doing strength work and things like this so that is the, you know, I didn't know I could do this. I didn't know if I could, but the sense of achievement, the sense of the journey along, you know, all of these ups and downs and the people that you've met. And it, that, it was a real push for the finish, but not a push that I thought. I was thinking, happy days, a wee bit of road here. Yeah. But it was a flipping half marathon. It was a pain in the neck. It was dreadful to do. Um, but I got there. What do you think it is between... I suppose this is the last question I've already got. Because um, many people do the Hondales races. But they don't go on to do the Horseshoe. And don't want to do the Highland Fling. Don't go on to do UTMB. Don't go on <laughs> to do a 200 mile race. Mm. Um, what is it? you think it is about people like yourself 
maybe me. <laughs> yeah. I'm that, driven to do that. What is it? What, why is it one person out of ten? Do you think it's just a, I'm not sure, addictive behaviour or? Yeah, I, I do gravitate towards the more extreme, you know, so if, if I'm into a certain thing, whatever it may be, you know, what's ultimately what does that go to? And I will strive for that. Um, I like to do the best that I can do things. I like, I think that one of my parts of my personality is that I like to be really thorough, thorough to an annoying level, but, um, but it's to my advantage and things like this, but, and the thing that I noticed about the 200 was that community of 200 is the one in 10 of the people that do the 100. So here was a smaller group of people and they had made this choice to do this race just like I did. And I felt really close to those people. You know, it was, we had gone through the same thing, but we had also made the same choices to do that. And um, I thought thought that was special. Yeah, because I was thinking about it on actually, because like there's people sort of, a lot of people sort of moving into the altar sort of scene I'm talking about 50 miles yeah like, well it's it's growing yeah and then you've got this like growth of 100 mile runners there's something special when you go past that I find well there is like isn't there because I was thinking about this earlier on those different levels whereas before it was the 100 that group was maybe at the 100 it's like the marathon everybody the marathon was such a big event and those people are, there's a lot of people doing ultra runs races now in 50 miles yeah um, but it's that, and I don't mean it in a way of being better than other people, but it's just, that's where the challenge is for that. And that's how much it's moved on. Yeah. Well, just like you now considering UTMB, mm-hmm. you know, you've accomplished a goal and whenever you accomplish a goal, the next thing is to set your sights on something higher, you know, something further, something that you have to reach for. I don't know what that is yet, but... Um, there was the next question, by the way. There was one more question <laughs> I was sitting thinking. So what is next? I don't know. Do you feel attracted to the other two races? Or is it... Is 200, it's done, sort of dusted? So part of the thinking that with Bigfoot was that there was less climbing, but it was still mountainous. It was still technical. It's the most technical of the 200s uh, in, in America. But one of the appeals for that was that I felt like it would be more running than I'd been doing in the previous two years. You know, Andorra's really steep, you know, et cetera, et cetera. UTMB is really steep. So part of me wants to go down that route where, you know, Tahoe 200 has a little bit less climbing. Um, and originally that was one that I was, that was on the short list. Um, but Moab 240 has even more running Unless climbing, so there's something that I okay. I'm interested in. I'm I'm wondering, am I gonna, how far I'm gonna scratch that itch? You know, I'm thinking, the have challenge you, could be more running. Have you got an application form in for Barclay? By any chance? <laughs> I you know, because you're a great navigator as well. Obviously, we've had this conversation in yeah. Spalga. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, it's a different beast altogether. 
you know, and whenever, whenever you go and do, whenever you sign up for a race, you know, I'm sure you're, you're the same. I look to see mm. who do I know that has done the Highland Flying? Who do I know has done TDS, CCC, UTMB? And you know where you stack up against them in those, in previous races that you've done and, you know, in longer distance races. And the fact that Billy Reid didn't get further is a real turnoff for me at Barkley because I really respect Billy as a navigator, as a runner, yeah. and as someone that can endure. And um, Himself and Ian Keith, and yeah. Nicky Spence, those type of people. Mm. I'm, not, I'm, not a, I'm not at their level, but I can compare myself to, to Billy. And uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not going for Barkley's application at this point. Thanks very much for coming in. I really enjoyed that story. Thank you. It's a pleasure. That was a great look into the undulating world of a 200 mile race. It's not for the faint hearted, and Aaron had put in the work to finish in such an incredible position of 8th place. Hope you find some inspiration in this podcast. If you did enjoy it, just let us know by leaving a comment or dropping me a PM. Until next week, stay safe and keep on moving.